Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. SecondCityHockey.com Jonathan Taze. Commit to us. Commit to the jersey. Commit to our people here. Welcome into another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, and I've got my three usual line mates with me this evening and is going to be with us the rest of the season because three of us just wasn't enough and, and four certainly not a crowd. So we're going to run with this grouping for the rest of the season and just see how it goes. Um, but first off, it is the analytics darling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Hello. Uh, I fell asleep. Right then, just like I fell asleep watching the Carolina game last night. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the third period was painfully boring. Like the first two, the, the second period was all right when the Hawks scored those two goals real quick. But then after, like the rest of the second, and especially like there was a 10-minute stretch in the third where there were like no whistles and like no shots on goal. And it was just like dump, dump and chase, dump and chase, dump and chase. Yeah, the Blackhawks have been having like really fast third periods recently, or I've just been watching really fast third periods recently. Maybe that was a Vegas game. Um, Maybe it's a those two game. teams are starting. Those, te- those two those two teams are starting to blur my head. But yeah, like there was four shots aside uh, at even strength uh, mm-hmm. in the third period. Not great. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll come back to it. But I mean, that wasn't the worst case scenario for the Hawks, I guess. Um, but we'll, we'll, again, we'll come back to that in a second, but we have two other people to introduce from first off. He is the second city hockey. What Jeff Rickley is the Thursday. It is Mil Savage. I have no opening monologue prepared. All right. Well, that's good. Then we can move on quickly to the next one, but a quick shout out to my buddy, Jimmy, who I know listens to the podcast. Who's a huge Thursday fan. So that was for him. Shout out Thursday, Thursday rules. There you go. All right. Can confirm. And also with us this evening, she is the I had it was the gif aficionado of Second City Hockey. It is Betsy LK LBR. I it's so surprising that the gif thing is such a big um moniker for me because I always assumed it would be like the massive comments. <laughs> but <laughs> the, I the wall, doing, the, the, the wall of text, yeah. But I haven't been doing them as much because I every time I start to write a giant thing, if I go past like Two paragraphs, three paragraphs. I go, maybe I should save this for an article. See, because I feel like the GIF aficionado thing is like a compliment. If I were referred to as Second City Hockey's wall of text, that would sound like a bad thing. And I don't want to do that. I actually don't mind it. Um, I have embraced my rambly nature. Okay, and all right. Maybe hope for the best. Maybe, maybe. Also, we'll it's also, that. that's also, that's also infringing on my territory. So, uh, what's, uh, wait, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm Second City Hockey's wall of text. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's all right. That's that's true. Although you, yeah, well, you both throw in a lot of numbers, so I don't know. Uh, we'll 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 see where it goes. I mean, we, we can have a different one for you every single week. 
Um, <laughs> There's never a, a word limit that Shepard or I are like, Haha, we can break through that. See, and it's very strange because I like, like whenever you like reading articles like that. And then like, I come from a newspaper background where articles are capped at like 600 words at the most. And then like, see like, like the workout we have at the bottom of our screen, it would say like 1500. It'd be like, A is like, I don't know how you guys are able to write that much. Cause I get yeah, to like, I get to 500 words and I get twitchy. Huh? And what if there's a number count for them though? It'd be split in half. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right. I've written, I've written uh, 3000 words about just Shay Theodore before. Well, yeah, but that's another podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just want to remind you, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Dave Melton. Shepard is at Shepard price. Mill is at mill 182. Betsy is not on Twitter, but she is on second city hockey as LBR. And that's where you can find all of our content at secondcityhockey.com. No, excuse me. Secondcityhockey.com. All spelled out. Also, the main Twitter account is at 2ND City Hockey. Uh, follow, rate, review, subscribe this podcast, whatever you get your podcast. Also, the Monday Deep Dish episodes, of which there was another one on Monday. Uh, definitely check those out because that's especially if you're uh, just getting into the advanced hockey stats or just want to learn more about them or would like a refresher or just are interested in the topic in general. Uh, Janelle and Betsy and Shepard have been doing, was it bi-weekly shows roughly? Bi-weekly. Yeah, mm-hmm. bi-weekly, bi-weekly shows. So so there's a lot of good stuff there too. Um, and um, I think that's all the basis. But yeah, secondcityhockey.com is where you can find all our stuff. Uh, we have gathered this evening after another Hawks win, which it's kind of, it feels weird to say another Hawks win. Um, maybe not another one, but anyway, they've won three of their last five after the first three weeks. And I think, uh, Betsy called it in one of her recaps, the Southern trip of doom trademark, right? That was it. Or Southern trip of gloom. Doesn't matter. It was both of those. Things. <laughs> yeah, either way. It, it was bad. The, the first three weeks of March where the Hawks faced, uh, Florida and Dallas and Tampa and just got their asses kicked fairly routinely. And then they came back and beat Florida twice. And then the last two against Nashville were kind of gross, they did beat Carolina on Tuesday night. And something that happened in that Carolina game is also what happened last Thursday against Florida. And that's kind of what I wanted to address with the group this evening is the Blackhawks got a multi-goal lead, took it into the third period and did not blow it against Carolina. It was actually only a one goal lead. So I guess the main question here, and I'll, I'll throw it out. We're, we'll start with Mill because I feel like I've, I've started with Shepard and Betsy in, in last week, so we'll, we'll put Mill on the hot seat early on. But I get my question for you, Mill, is the fact that the Blackhawks in the last two games that they have won, that they've built a multi-goal, a, a, and built a lead, got it into the third period, and didn't blow it. Does that do anything for you? In a vacuum, it sounds great, but the problem is their goalie's the reason that they didn't lose the game. Well, and go ahead. No, I was gonna say like I I felt like against Carolina in the games against Carolina and Florida, the goalies were the biggest reason. But it also like they may not have outpossessed their opponents in those periods, but I feel like they did a better job of preventing high danger opportunities. I think Carolina only had one high danger chance in the entire third period on Tuesday night. That's fair, but they still got outshot two to one, and and that's okay. becoming that that's becoming insanely frustrating because, like I commented early in the thread saying I want the Hawks to score five tonight. They haven't had a game in a while where they've really the only team they've really dunked on is Detroit, you know. Which so hanging yeah, fruit there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's great. I love it. I love when they beat Detroit, but like it doesn't do much for you against other teams when you can't score. Mm-hmm. So. I'm happy that they're closing out games, but also look who's on the ice when they're closing out games. Like, are we talking about uh, player development and buying in? Because it's pretty much the same group every time that the other team has their goalie pulled and it's not the young guys. Shepard, Betsy, either one of you guys want to chime in on the same question about what does it do? Does it do anything for you that the Hawks are, have not blown third period leads in their last two victories? Uh <clears throat> It means the goaltending is good. It means that Kevin Lankinen is back to being good because in the last week he's got like all three of his games have been above a 900 save percentage. Um, because like he, he is the reason the Blackhawks won against Carolina on Tuesday. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, fairly, fairly easy, easy to say that. Um, even Malcolm Subban's playing a little bit better. Both were struggling a lot through the better part of March and they're getting better now. Which is good news um, because 
it's understandable why they were so bad through March facing Tampa and Florida and a little bit of Dallas exclusively. Um, but now that now, now it's time to beat up on weaker teams uh, coming up and that's the Blackhawks are going to need their goaltenders to be at their best. Yeah, and, 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 and that's what it does for me. The, the thing you said about them, like beating up on, on quote weaker teams, which I feel like they're, they're not on the level of, Florida and uh, yeah, Florida and Tampa. Although Florida keeps getting guys hurt, so maybe they will be soon. But they're, they're clearly not in the top two of the division. They're not as bad as Detroit. So it's trying to figure out where they rank among like the Columbus and Dallas and Nashville's of the world. And just the, the two the games, the games against Nashville last weekend, like those are the exact kind of games that I thought were going to maybe go away or at least like not be as frequent of an occurrence in the months uh, in, in late March and April, when the schedule gets softer, I thought the Hawks wouldn't get so soundly outshot, outchanced, out attempted out everything and lose the game. Uh, and, and like, that's what I, I was so disheartened by the games this weekend. So Tuesday was a little bit encouraging, I guess, not as much more for me than for Shepard and mill, but Betsy, what about you? How did you feel after uh, the game Tuesday? And, and then the other one where the Hawks got and kept the lead for a change. Well, I always like to, you know, overall the games weren't great, but you always have to look at the positives and Kevin Lincoln is why they won, but it was won in the first period, him preventing Carolina from having a multi-goal lead or even a goal at all. But in general, they could have had two, three, four goals and he stopped a bunch of big ones. That's when the game was won by him. He didn't need to be quite as good in the rest of the, the, game he just didn't need to be there was a lot better collapsing down to protect him they had a lot I made a comment in um, both the game thread and when we were just chatting that Carolina is so good at suppression of passes um, that they don't even have to block that many shots they do but they wouldn't have to because they're just so good at preventing you from getting anything going and I thought the Hawks did a pretty good job of that themselves in the second and third period. It wasn't, they couldn't set up as much. They do not dis- disrupt in the neutral zone well, still. I, why we don't, like, <laughs> whatever, we're not gonna go into that again. Um, so, but they once they got into the DZ, I thought they did a much better job there and I thought they did a really good job in Florida. So if you're looking at positives of things that are changing, that's good. Um, they also, the reverse of that is they couldn't get anything going the other way because they were so it's like they could do one or the other. You can't, they can't offense at all if they're playing defense or they're all offense and they can't defense at all. So there's not a very good balance to that, but I mean, at this point you got to look at whatever you can get. And we were all complaining about how they couldn't close out games and they've done it now twice. If they can continue to do it more, um, I think that's good. I am impressed by that at least a little bit. Yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard to go too overboard about just one game, or, or even in this case, just two games. About you know, I'm not going to say that it completely changes my outlook for the rest of the season. But I, I think just you're, you're looking for some positive, something to hang your head on, and say they finally did something well at five on five play that I, I, it's been really hard to find things to say about that other than like, they're really good on the rush, but like, as far as like defensively speaking, it's been trying, it's been hard to find something that has been positive about five on five play. And I think those two wins finally gave you that. Yeah. I'll point out in the Carolina game, both Florida games, and even in the Nashville game um, that they lost three, two, they actually kept all the opposing teams to three high danger shots or more um which if we remember during the whole like beginning of march the third period would be like six seven (laughs) Uh and you were like cool that's just how it's gonna be now you're just gonna let everything happen so i think it's okay to be excited about them being able to suppress that at least in the third you want to see it more regularly. You want to see it more through the game and you want to see it not come at the expense of the offense, but baby steps. <laughs> exactly. Still, still a fairly young team, young coach, all that other, all those other caveats. And uh, I don't remember which one pointed it out, but the fact that we want it to be the young guys too, to get them experience. 
Yes, yes, yes. We want that too. So swap mm-hmm. in now that you know that the vets can do it, start, start putting in at least one young person with a vet. If you want to push them in a little bit. Yeah. That was kind of my, my problem is like, you have Murphy and Zadorov out there. Like why not like throw a boat out with them or something like that, just to get the wheels moving. Yeah. Yeah. You can uh, certainly with like a veteran like Murphy, who is one of the still one of the 20 best defensemen in terms of expected goals above replacement this season, you can throw in a Boquist or a Modan. Yeah. yeah I, I, totally. I, I, I lean more toward Boquist, honestly, because it feels like he's, of all the Hawks young defensemen, he's emerging the most. And obviously, Ian Mitchell wasn't even in the lineup. And uh, why Kalanick was just playing in his second game against Carolina on Tuesday night. Uh, but I mean, you look at the shift, the shift chart from. Uh, natural stat trick i have it on my screen right now and it doesn't have the times on it so it's not the greatest way to tell but the last i mean the last seven eight well let's see one two three four five six last seven shifts of the game were either dehan murphy dehan murphy keith or zadorev those four so no boquist no kalanuk in the last last six seven shifts of the game so i don't know i just that that's that's been a gripe i think we've all had since February and we're about to be April tomorrow and ac- actually April today, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, but um, it's like, it, like let them try it. So, let the young guys at some point try and do that. Let Ian Mitchell, when he's back in the lineup, let him try, let Ambocus try because I'm, I mean, I'm not convinced that all four of those defensemen we just named are going to be around in two to three seasons. And Boquist has been playing good. It's not like, yes. oh, he's too inexperienced. He's been their better, one of the better defensemen up with Murphy. He's been very good on defense. Like there was the, the goal that drew all the attention online when he went behind the net chasing a player and got past the slot and Ryan Johansson was open by three miles, which was a whole other discussion. That's, that's what he's supposed to do there. That's why we hate the system. Uh. <laughs> well, see, I... But either either way, that, that even if that was a, just a small rookie mistake, like Boquist has been doing that less and less and less lately. So you'd like to see him at least get a shot out there in the final two to three minutes of a one-goal game just to see if he can do it. But, Dave, I, I want to argue that's not a rookie mistake because that's what he's told to do. Well, I mean, yeah. I think, didn't JC just say that that's not what they like? They he and Boquist both were like, no, not really. And I was like, you cannot tell from the way that they play regularly. That's re- we're all like, hey, they always do that, so it must be a part of the system. Yeah. And then, and then they come out and say, well, actually, no. And you're like, but then why does it happen that often? And it's not every shift. Yeah, it's yeah. rookies and vets. So I, I don't. I guess know. it's like I guess my my the way I interpreted it from the quote from Carlton was that they are supposed to chase behind unless the they're unsure if they have support in front of the net, which I, it's always, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because because when, have, when that goal happened, Dahan was on the, was on the boards uh, by the faceoff dot with another guy. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, yeah, that, that's, I can't, that's the entire debate because like, and, and to Mill's point, like if they, if he's not supposed to be doing it, it's not communicated very well because it keeps happening. <laughs> well, I just want to say too, like I, uh, I don't put much stock into what Collison tells the public, not because I don't trust him, but they don't really talk about stuff like that. And when he was asked about guys switching back towards the beginning of the season, he didn't even have an answer. It's true. So, so it's like, he's not going to tell us. He doesn't care. <laughs> well, I mean, he might care, but. No, I mean he doesn't care to leak that information. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's the one thing with with hockey in general, and I think it's even more of a problem this year because of the way press conferences set up. Everything's on Zoom; it's one reporter at a time. You can't really; it's hard to do follow up questions and all that. But I feel like hockey does not. There's not a lot of great time for uh, an analytical questions about like specific plays and moments in the game because. Like the, especially this season with the compacted schedule, like if you take the NFL, for example, you have the post-game press conference and the coach meets with the media on Monday after the game and usually has to answer a bunch of questions about what went wrong in, in the game happened on Sunday with the NHL schedule this season. Like the Hawks play Tuesday night. They have a practice on Wednesday where the coach might meet, might meet with the media and the focus is probably already moved on to the game that's happening Thursday night. So there's not a lot of time for reflection this it seems like this season more than others, but 
Can I throw one more thing about that play and then I'll end it? <laughs> Go ahead. So in that play that we're talking about where Bocas was behind the net. And, and this, the weird... was this, this was the game-winning goal, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was against – it was the game if – if you want to Nashville. know which game we're talking about, it was against Nashville, one of the games last weekend where Ryan Johansson scored and there was nobody within three years of him. A pass from behind the net from Arvidsson to Johansson. So in this weird system, the forwards sit back and technically he, got, he beat Soderberg there. Because he came through from the right wing side and then went through the slot where Soderberg was defending. This is a problem for me because not just the system, but people keep pumping 35-year-old Carl Soderberg's tires about how we're going to need him for a playoff push. It's like Need is a strong word. <laughs> no, it's been said. Well, that that's where I come back to the, the point of uh, you should if, – if that, that's what people are saying, maybe you should – question who you're listening to <laughs> oh well the people are saying stuff like that directly to me so i mean well, it's just well, know, what can okay. i do yeah i well that, that kind of i mean it might be a perfect jumping off point for what we we're going to talk about next this evening and that was a little bit of an early trade deadline discussion because uh april 12th which is two weeks from this past monday that is the trade deadline i believe it's april 12th monday april 12th at 2 p.m central time is the trade deadline and so mm-hmm. The, the thought that I've always had with the rebuild of, of whatever it is the Hawks are doing is you sign veterans on expiring contracts and free agency, and then you hope they have a good first half, three quarters of the season, so you can flip them at the deadline for picks and prospects. So with that thought in mind, I guess you look at the Blackhawks roster and you look at the veterans that they've signed to one-year deals, and there was a handful of them, and, and you're looking at this roster. I, I guess the, the question is, out of the veterans at the Hawks sign. So this is like Lucas Walmark, Matthias Janmark, Carl Soderberg. And Soderberg was more of a necessity once they found out that Taves and Doc were, were gone is the main reason he's here, not necessarily because they so desired his presence on the team. And you can might, maybe even toss in Calvin DeHaan. I know he wasn't a free agent signing, but he's a veteran guy that may or may not be around long term. Are any of these guys like players that you look at, and this is just for all three of you, any of these players are guys you look at and say, I need him on this team in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly, the Han, but not because I want him on the team in the future, but because the expansion draft exi- expansion draft okay. exists, and I want to tempt Seattle with somebody. <laughs> okay. Well, because I the name that always comes up is Matthias Janmark. Yeah, I. I'm fine moving Matthias Janmark. Well, and yeah, then you won't have to say his name anymore. Sorry, Betsy, go ahead. <laughs> well, I just, uh, people had such a weird, like, almost like boner for him to start the season. It was such a weird, like, positive. Like, people were like, oh, I love him. And I was like, why? What about him <laughs> well, that made was, you have that reaction? <laughs> no, I think that was partially driven by the team because the way – the way they were hyping him up on broadcast and like social media posts, like they were trying to turn him into something. It seemed like there was some sort of, it almost felt like that was like the organizational mandate. Like we need to make Matthias Janmark, not the face of the franchise, but a, we want everyone to feel good about him for some reason. No, they're trying to turn him into a first round pick. Which is not going to happen. So that's correct. correct. And also, and at the beginning of the season, I felt I felt like they were trying to sell him them him to the fans too because they had just gotten rid of Saad and mm. people were so bitter about that and they were like what are you going to do for defense none of it, in terms of forwards none of the forwards left are particularly great defensively except for lower line forwards so what are you going to do in your top 9 and of course JC's solution to that is to put camp in the top 9 even the top 6 and you're like please stop doing that and then <laughs> Um, right. And then, you know, they're like, well, here's Janmark and he's good defensively. And it's like, yes, but he's not great offensively. And his numbers are somewhat inflated. I'm actually way more impressed by him offensively than I thought I was going to be, but he's still mostly getting his stuff off of a reading from like a cane or something like that. You know, he got a lot of his points with Kane and or on the power play and he's just not good enough to want to keep long-term, especially if he's blocking 
the youth from getting more minutes. And luckily he hasn't been doing that as much, which is why his uh-huh. points are lower. <laughs> but still, I don't even want to tempt it. Yeah. So there's, Go ahead, there's, a, there's a thing, there's a thing that you have to be talented enough to play with stars. You, you look at Chris Kunitz who made a career off of being talented enough to play with Sidney Crosby, something like Phil Kessel couldn't even do. And Phil Kessel was Phil Kessel. Um, but don't take any shots at Phil Kessel on this podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Arizona Phil Kessel is not a very good player. Uh, yeah, he just had a hat trick, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he just, uh, they had some crazy comeback against, I think Vancouver. I don't know. I watched it and uh, let Arizona that man was, live, Shepard. Let him live with his. Heart he had cancer, Shepard. Leave him alone. <laughs> he had cancer like a, a decade and a half ago now, uh, and 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 he makes Kane look good defensively, uh, which is hard to do. Um, but yeah, so but the thing is, like Jan Mark still is blocking good players, good young players like Philip Kuroshev from getting as much time as they need to. He's still playing more time than them. Um, and to go back Kuba to a leak for some Kuba leak. Yeah, exactly. Drive me crazy. And yeah. To go back to a point LVR made there, there is a player good enough to, on the wing to play defense, uh, in the top nine, but he's not playing minutes and that's Dominique Kubalik. Why are you not playing Dominique Kubalik at all? Really recently? Mm. I did. Somebody did point out, and I, I wish I could credit the, the commenter from second city hockey that did point out like they're about, they were about neck and neck with average ice time five on five in a game. And it's just that uh, Janmark is getting more PK time, which is why he's pulled ahead Kubalik in a uh, overall ice time average. Although I would argue that Kubalik should be a f- couple minutes ahead of Janmark in five on five ice time. So yeah, exactly. It was, uh, I want to say it was Ray's twenty eight. Yeah, the the biggest Steve Larmer fan on the internet. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love Steve. I love Steve Larmer at least. Um, I have a quick. Jan Mark thought, and it's just, you know, if the Hawks are smart, which I don't know if they will be or not, um, they can probably trade him to a team who has a better chance at like a, a run in the playoffs. And he would love that to get his numbers up in the playoffs because some mm-hmm. team will totally overpay for him next year then. Well, yeah, like I felt like that's kind of what he was doing with the Hawks is he he had the, the run to the cup with Dallas. They, they lost, right. the but he got there. So then you get your one-year prove-it deal with the Hawks let everyone know how good you can be, maybe get traded at the deadline and make another run of the cup. And then next year, maybe the pandemic is kind of over and, and teams have money again to spend because they get some fan attendance in May and June during the playoffs. And maybe you cash in because he's not, I mean, he turns, he, he'll, he turns 29 in December. So he's still, he's, this is probably his last chance to cash in ever if he's going to have one. So um, I, I think the, the, the thing with Matthias Janmark, what he strikes me as he's the type of guy that if your team falls in love with him, you overpay him and then you screw yourself financially down the road. Yep. And that's my concern with a guy like him is that you pay him three, uh, you know, you give him the Brian Bickle contract and Brian Bickle's circumstance was completely different because he had a, a medical issue that completely robbed him of his ability to play hockey. So I don't want to make that well, comparison. Bickle but, is getting back pay too, because he was signed for under league minimum before exactly. they changed it. If you give Jan Mark four years at 4 million in like a year or two, everyone's going to hate that contract. So yeah, exactly. let somebody else do it. Um, like, but outside of that, like the other veteran guys that we were discussing, like, I keep forgetting Lucas Walmark is even on this team. So yeah. uh, I, I like, yeah, same. A, a, like you, you want to trade him. Like he's only 25. So maybe he fetches something in a trade, but I don't know how much you're going to get for him in return. Um, the only other guy that's a restricted free agent is uh, that might be trade bait is Nikita Zadorov, But I just, I don't think the Hawks are going to do that because uh, that they would hate me because <laughs> they hate mill. Exactly. You know, one, one other guy, and this is just, I, I was thinking about this earlier today and just picked a name kind of out of uh, this thought came to me, Colin Delia, because it really feels like the way that Lankanen has emerged and Subban's kind of been the number, well, it has been the number two guy essentially. And Delia hasn't played barely any hockey at the NHL level this season. I don't see like he may, he may be asking to get out because I think he might be starting to see the writing on the wall that, if he has a future in the NHL, it won't be in Chicago. That's the only other name I could think of that might be a, a trade bait piece. That makes sense. I, have we talked about, we, we talked a little bit about Soderbergh. Um, yeah, it's, it's Soderbergh. I think, I mean, if you, if, 
I think he's similar to the Lucas Walmart thing where I don't know how much you're going to get for him, especially with Soderbergh's what already 34, I think. 35. Carl Soderbergh, I don't know what you're going to get for him in a trade. So, I mean, if they trade him great, like now that Doc is back, um, you do have a little bit more center depth than they did when they signed Soderbergh. But if he hung around. Strom's been playing on the wing. Huh? Strom's been playing on the wing. True. True. So. Put him by center. I mean, I'm here for it, but. Like, you, you have guys that could fill in at center if they decided to trade Carl Soderbergh away, but. If they kept him and he walked in free agency of the offseason, that's not going to be a massive loss. So no, I'm just saying get a pick for him if you can instead of letting him walk. That's all. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Fourth rounds or whatever. I, I think the the whole the whole uh, putting a bow on this whole conversation is essentially uh, don't expect much. Like even if they trade Jan Mark and who, by the way, I he's on a massive cold streak. He's like doesn't have a point in his last five or six games, I believe. So uh, yeah. way to. Not really hyping up the trade deadline. Yeah, he doesn't have a point in his last six games. So um, maybe they need to put him on the line with Kane to uh, boost that trade value once again. No, please before don't. The deadline. Say that again? Yeah, no. Don't do that. Um, no, yeah, don't no. do that. Oh, the thing that you guys didn't talk about, though, was like the whole mysterious cap space thing. How are they going to use that? And by that, I mean, how how can we ever predict that? <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the name that people keep throwing around is Andrew Ladd. Is yeah, they, but his contract is terrible and for too long. Yeah, it's too long. I think that he could get a buyout, though. I I I'm a, I wish I had a better, more in-depth. The, the LTIR process is something that is, I under like I, I don't understand the entire ramifications of it. It's very strange to me, so I have no, no idea. I, I just know that NHL somehow can, like, wipe their hands and contract disappears like a magic trick. Well... So for Lad, his buyout would be like still four point eight for the next two years, and then it drops down to like only three hundred and thirty three thousand. But I just don't think the Blackhawks haven't really bought anybody out either. Like that's not a thing that Bowman does very much. No, so, they they did the compliance buyouts with uh, Steve Monador and was it Rasti Olash? Was that the other guy? Uh, Rasti Olash. Shout yeah. out. That's a yeah. deep cut. I think that was the guy they bought out. Don't quote me on that, but I, I know they bought out Monitor, but I can't remember the other one. Yeah, yeah and they, so right. they haven't it's done a list. normal. They haven't done a normal buyout. Bowman seems like somewhat resistant to that. So yeah, I don't think they're going to take anybody on and then buy them out. I would say we probably don't know exactly what to expect because now that John McDonough's gone and not overseeing all this, it might <laughs> be a little different. That's true. Um, I just, I was trying to temper people's expectations on like, cause people were like, maybe we could get like a first or a second for taking like Taylor Hall and eating half of his um, yeah, right. cap hit. And I was like, nobody's gonna give you a first for that. Last year when we, they had the three um, team trade with Toronto, Toronto took on 2.5 million and got a fifth. So yeah. base your expectations on that because the cap, nobody's giving out first really this year is what seems to be like the consensus that like people are very resistant to that. And even a second seems more valuable, which is weird to me because there's such a big value drop off um, after like the 15th round pick. So um, <laughs> yeah, I just, just temper expectations on that too. Yeah. I, I, I guess like kind of building off your point, it's just it's it's probably going to be a boring trade deadline from a Blackhawks perspective, and it seems like league wide, like Taylor Hall seems like he might move from Buffalo, and maybe they ship out Jack Eichel. I don't, I haven't really kept tabs on Buffalo other than to see how many more games in a row they're losing, which I think it's at seventeen now. Yeah. Um, they're, they're they lost in a new way. Poor they. I can't remember which Buffalo Sabres fan or uh, player was like, we were winning and we didn't know what to do and panicked. <laughs> And I was like, oh, or was one of the young ones, maybe Darlene, I don't know. Uh, I think it might, yeah, it might have, it might have been Darlene. Yeah. Darlene and Miller were the two. And you were, and you were like, oh, poor sweet child, you're being destroyed. It, it wasn't Henry Yoka, are you? <laughs> I don't think he was playing. <laughs> um, I want to throw one more thing before we get off this, uh, this topic. Oh, please do. I don't, I want the Hawks to make the playoffs every year. No, like, no doubt. That's, that's the team I cheer for. But I just don't see them getting past a team like Tampa in the first round, if that's who they match up with. 
Mm-hmm. So I just don't want them to do the thing where it's like, oh, we're in a playoff spot. Let's just keep everything the way it is. If they have an opportunity to get something like if nobody offers anything for you, Mark, then I mean, what can you do? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely that the, like you have to maintain that long-term focus that they said they have now. So if someone, if Correct. someone offer you a second or a third round pick for Matias Janmark, get his ass out of here and get that pick or you get a decent prospect. So, right, right. Totally. That's yeah. all I wanted to say. And certainly don't buy. Do not buy yeah, this well, I, I think I, I have myself convinced that, that we don't have to worry about that, um, But which will tell me the Hawks will buy three guys for no reason. And also, Shepard, I have two Phil Kessel jerseys. <laughs> Are they the ones from Arizona, though? No, I have uh, Leafs and Pittsburgh. Proves my, proves my point. Uh, I got him on point. sale once he was traded. All right. Well, yeah. We're going to take a timeout and we're all going to yell at Shepard for his Phil Kessel slander. But, uh, but no, but seriously, we're going to take a quick break uh, and we're going to come back on the other side of this timeout. Look ahead to the Hawks upcoming games uh, ahead of the trade deadline in the first week of April. And then uh, probably get into a food take because that's how we do things around these parts. So come on back to the other side of the time this time out and listen for that. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to Musings on Madison. And as promised before the break, we want to take a quick look ahead to the Blackhawks' upcoming slate of games. Uh, Thursday night, they got Carolina at home. Saturday afternoon, they are on the road in Nashville, which hopefully goes better than the last time they played Nashville. And then two days off, which is weird this season. They have two days off for a change. And then Tuesday night in Dallas, uh, or excuse me, at home against Dallas. And then they follow up with the Stars again on Thursday night at the United Center. Uh, Just general question out to all three of you. Anything in particular you're keeping an eye on or intrigued by or watching for the next three to four games? Uh, Florida without Ekblad. Well, well, they the good well, the bad news is they don't play Florida without Ekblad, unfortunately. No, I'm just for the division standings. Just oh, okay, I I got you. Yeah, it's gonna well, and they've lost Ekblad, and I don't think Barkov's come back yet. So uh, losing your number one center and number one defenseman in the span of a week seems rough. And Ekblad was having a hell of a season. I actually feel bad for the guy. I, I did terrible. too. Yeah, I, 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 I'm still yet to really develop much disdain for Florida. Um, I'm starting to hate Tampa for sure. A few of those guys are kind of obnoxious. But, um, and a couple guys in Carolina too. But haven't really started to hate Florida yet. They're just maybe – Just good us. They're just good. They're just good. I, and that's, that's all I got. Um, Betsy Shepard, anything else to add about the next uh, upcoming slate of games? Um, they need to beat the bad to mediocre teams. Like they need to get back to doing that. Even Mm -hmm. if it's, even if it's a little bit mirage, that's okay. And then they need to be better against the good teams. Like I'll take that as like a positive beat who you should beat if you want to be in the playoffs. And I'm not saying performatively, maybe they should, but like, if they actually want to be in the playoffs, you have to beat Columbus and Detroit and you have to beat them fairly decisively and you mm-hmm. need to be naturally need to be Dallas. Then you can at least allow yourself a little bit of wiggle room against these better teams, but play better against them is all I, I want so bad. Just, just win a five on five battle one time. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I they've been at like 33%. Recently. When was the last time you watched a game and thought that the Hawks were the better team at five on five? 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say not recently. You that laugh, one, but I mean, that yeah. one lightning game, like Were the they, first game back from having haven't played them since the beginning of the season. The one I they lost. Say, yes, they lost it, but they were really good. And I don't know if it's because you know Tampa just didn't want to turn up against the you know the the Hawks because we've been talking about this this whole time that uh, the Lightning are like teams like the the twenty fifteen um, Hawks and even the twenty seventeen Pens. You know they were like a little bit in crew 
like cruise mode and like their their analytics aren't quite as good as previous seasons. And so Tampa's cruising a little bit and they're not they just do enough to win. Mm-hmm. But that was a good game for them for the Hawks and I was really sad that they lost that one and then won won the next one because they weren't very good in that game. Yeah, but yeah. um you know, just more like that. Could you just like the last ten, like there's like 10 minute periods in the Predators games that they were good in. And you're like, could you do that just a little <laughs> bit? Just, just win, win one yeah. game where the number one star isn't the Hawks goalie. Yeah. <laughs> Add 10 more minutes every time. So you did 10 minutes against Predators. Now can we go for 20 and then the yeah, next game maybe 30? Don't let the Corsi drop off by period every game and don't get outshot two to one. And I know people are going to be like, oh, those are just numbers. But it's like, no, you could see it on the ice. Like They get outshot 2-1 to one and win 2-1, to one, Mill. That's 2021 Blackhawks hockey. And sh- oh. shout, out, shout out my brother told me, my brother Steve, shout out. Uh, he was like, yo, uh, you should put on the bingo card. Hawks get outshot 2-1. to one. And I'm like, nah, they won't do that tonight. <laughs> I'm an idiot. 2021 Blackhawks hockey is they get, up, get off to a 3-0 lead and then blow it. Um, no. In uh, terms no. of. No lead is safe, no deficit, insurmountable. I think it's no. Angry Giant in our comment section came up with that, and it is the perfect quote about this team. But Shepard, uh, you had something to add? Yeah. In terms of watching, again, goaltending has been the most important part. So uh, not just Lankinen, but can you can can the Blackhawks start s- starting Malcolm Subban again? Because it feels like Kevin Lankinen, especially with this schedule, wears down pretty quickly. You and your Malcolm Subban cape. I... I hype him up because he's from I've, we, we get yeah, it. and I, I've I've watched him basically my entire writing career, um, so I know how good he can be. Uh, just like let him play sometimes, uh, but also let the kids play again. Um, Boquist needs to start playing at the end of games, like we've said. Uh, Philip Kurashev starts needs to start getting more time, um, and especially more time not with Ryan Carpenter and <laughs> Carl Soderberg, if possible, with somebody who he can actually like help score. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it'd be great if, like, weirdly, can kill, can Philip Kurs have center a line? Because him, Kubalik, and uh, Janmark, I guess, is who, who's playing on that line now, would be fine, I think, without David Kampf. They need I, some, those two need somebody who can score between them. I like, I think, I don't know if they did it for a game or not, but I think there was a line of uh, briefly Kubalik, Kurshev, and Hagel. And yeah, I, I'd be fine with I like, that too. I like that line. I, I think that I swear they did it for like one game for like a period, but um, I, yeah. and it feels like that line be fe- would be uh, very fast too. I would say uh, keep an eye on Suter too. He's been coming along. He's getting his game legs a little bit. He looks more comfortable in his positioning. Yeah, that's that's another guy that I'm. It's like I you want to see like just how good he can be because. It's like, I don't know if he's top six material, but if he's a third line center, like they plucked him out of Europe. So, I mean, any NHL contributions are pretty much gold, but if he could be like a reliable third line guy, like that'd be, that's a hell of a pickup. You you need pieces like that. You can't all be top six guys. He's probably better on the wing though. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The Blackhawks don't really have anybody who can win a face off with David Kopp being as bad as he's been recently. Yeah, they've been really bad at faceoffs all season. Like, I try not to. I I know there's a lot of studies out there that suggest faceoffs aren't as important as people make them out to be, and I agree with them wholeheartedly. But I also like, if you're going to win like thirty percent every night, that is a problem. Yeah, I was going to say the the studies show that <clears throat> anywhere between like pretty much forty five and fifty five are like okay. a wash. But anything outside of that can impact the game, not like to huge, huge margins, but also it's much more situational. So like mm-hmm. in zone, like DZ or OZ are a little bit more and special teams are even like more important. Like they actually do factor into things. But when you're talking about 30%, yeah, that probably actually is. And I was going to say, how many are they taking in their own end? It's like ridiculous. 46.4 for the season. So, um, but it does, it feels like, well, it, it maybe just the fact that the only time it gets referenced and we notice it is when they're getting destroyed in the stat. Um, I don't have a game log yet to see how, what they've been doing, how they've been trending overall, but it just, it feels like every time they mention it. And, and again, maybe this is like a confirmation bias thing, but every time it gets mentioned, it's because they're getting their asses kicked in face offs. So I don't know. Um, before we uh, dive into the food take, 
I wanted to quickly, we did have a question from, I, I hope we were discussed this beforehand. So I think it's a hard So Gershi wanted to know, um, just kind of talking about the idea of what the Hawks only playing against seven teams in the league. Um, how real is the development of the Blackhawks young is that you're seeing this season and how much of an indicator is this season in determining where the Hawks are as a team and as individuals, if they're only playing, you know, one third or one fourth of the teams in the league. I'm, uh, they're still playing at least three really good teams True. in Florida, Carolina, and Tampa Bay. So it, if, if they look better at the end of the season than they did at the beginning of the season against those three teams in particular, and Carolina will be like their main opponent in the last 20, 19 games here, um, then that matters. That is development. Mm-hmm. Adam Boquist looks better against Tampa Bay, against Carolina, against Florida than he did at the beginning of the year. That matters. That's a very good answer. Mill, Betsy, anything else to add? Uh, yeah, I think that the individual play of players is coming along nicely, but mm-hmm. uh, the team play isn't. And I think when you look at the fact that they're playing the same teams repetitively, you would assume that they would learn lessons from the bad play or the bad losses. And they don't really seem to address a lot of the concerns that we've been talking about all year. So, you know, I think next year is going to be way bigger – like tell of where they're at because they're the book won't be out against just seven teams. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that I'd like to see them make an effort to at least fix a few things when you're having the same issues. That's anything and else said. I think it, it's definitely um, different and it's not going to be quite as measurable, but like, I, I feel like um, even in, in the last time they had a shortened season, you know, the same comment came up like, were the Hawks that good in 2013 just because they beat up on the same teams in the division? And, you know, it turned out, yes, they are. They are that good. They yes, stack they up are. better across, you know, like I can't remember who was doing a thing. They were, um, maybe it was Jay Fresh and he was using top-down hockey's information, but he went back through a bunch and the adjusted numbers for teams going back all the way to like the seventies. I can't even remember, but he, the, that 2013 team was really high and it's like, well, was it inflated by the division? And I don't think it was cause they like completely rolled over even to the end. I think they rolled over the Bruins more than even the score suggested. Cause they like were just better every um, game. Mm-hmm. So I think this is fine as a measuring stick. It's just not as diverse. So you're not seeing quite as many possible options. So you are playing Nashville. Who's, boring too much but we were playing minnesota before that it was too was boring um so i'm i think it's a fine measuring stick i don't think there's going to be that much drop off or difference from next year outside of i don't know maybe the north and i feel like the north is crazy like that's the only division that's like really going wild like, different than it normally would yeah. um most of those teams are usually scattered in with much better teams overall um so it'll, that'll be interesting. But for the Blackhawks perspective, I agree with Shepard that they're playing some really good teams. It's just not the normal good teams that they would be playing regularly, but that's fine. Tampa isn't that, that different from like Col- what Colorado would be. Yeah. Um, or so. Vegas. Yeah. Or Vegas. Yeah. So they're still playing really, really, really good teams. So as long as they're improving along the way, I'll take individual play right now. I'd like what Mill said. I want, team-wide improvement but i'll look at the positives of the kids at least yeah i i was gonna say too i don't think any of us really knew how the goalie situation would play out so now next year we'll probably have a level of expectation for that yeah i think that's one thing that like as far as like individual matchups go with like skaters that's one thing but goaltend good goaltending against tampa is going to be good goaltending against colorado and Toronto and all the other top teams in the league. So like if Kevin Lankinen keeps doing Kevin Lankinen and things like, I don't think you have to worry about him as much as you might say, you know, how the forwards will look against some of the other top teams in the league. So I guess, I think you could put more stock in a good goaltending this season, even on a small sample size of opponents compared to the skaters. If that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I, I just looked ahead real quick and, uh, you guys are talking about like where, like the barometer of where the Hawks are going to be at by the end of the season. Last eight games, starting April 27th, Tampa, Florida, Florida, Carolina, 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 Dallas, Dallas. 
So we'll, we're going to know a lot about this team by May 11th when all that's over with and whether or not they're in the playoffs. So should be interesting Dallas to watch. Is, if Dallas is fighting for that spot and they're healthier, that's going to be a hell of a way to end the season. And, and maybe and maybe by May 9th and 10th, the last two games, those are at the United Center. Maybe we'll have people in the building. Fingers well, you know how must-win games are for this Hawks team. <laughs> that's very true. And, and that's another, another thing we can learn about. Uh, when, when we get to that point and uh, back to Betsy's point real quick, while you were talking, I, I went to natural stat trick and just looked up the 2013 playoffs last three games of that season for the Hawks expected goals, percentages, 57, 63, 55 in the yeah, Stanley yeah. cup final. That's pretty and good. God, I miss those teams. And people don't really know, but Marion Hosa was like, he couldn't even move. He was so hurt. Oh yeah. Yeah. So think about taking like the best player to ever walk on the earth basically for the Hawks and, uh, and like they still way. kick Boston's ass. Yeah. Two way player, you know, all the host is like the key to a lot of the success and they still, they still won that. And he couldn't even move because he was, his back was so fucked up. So that Hawks team will forever live in, in my heart. Same. All right. Well, uh, I think, uh, it's time for all the hockey talk. So I think it's food time. Um, and this is kind of, so it's my turn this week and this is building off of what Betsy talked about last week involving grits and uh, as we got near the end of the conversation, I Googled like where to get Southern food in Chicago and found some place that I haven't been to yet. So I apologize, Betsy. I, I have no grits report yet. But I think what like this, this is a thing that's been bothering me a little bit lately, uh, like, like pre-pandemic when I like got to do a little bit of traveling throughout the States. It's starting to bother me that the way you can, food should be a regional thing, I think. Then this is the idea is that if I want southern good southern food, if I want some good grits, I need to go to the south to get them. If I want good Chicago style pizza, I need to go to Chicago. Same thing with New York for pizza. I mean, go to one of the coasts if you want good high quality seafood. So I I'm just I'm bothered by the way that food is like like there's like Portillos in Arizona. Portillos does not belong in Arizona. That is a Chicago thing. If you want that stuff, you have to go to Chicago. So I think that the take here is that food should be a regional-based thing, and we should stop taking food items into places that are not their natural habitat. I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My immediate reaction was, what about people who can't travel? They'll never get to experience some of that stuff, you know? like. um... Then that's on you. Uh, I, I, I can I can admit it's maybe a little bit like like you know there, there's some privilege associated with being able to travel but I don't know it just I don't know it just that it was starting when I saw like Portillo's in Arizona I'm just like this this doesn't belong here this doesn't make sense to me and like Giordano's there's like there's one in Indianapolis now I'm like get the fuck out of here Indianapolis I went to a, and Aurelio's in Florida <laughs> see, yeah see I don't know I don't know why we went there because I can get okay. that like, next to my house <laughs> Let me, let me take this to the extremes then. So okay. the only pizza you should be able to find outside of New York City is like Detroit style in Detroit, deep dish in Chicago, and nothing in L.A. or Boston. I mean, you can have pizza. Just make your own. But that's a regional, that's a regional food invented in like New York. Uh, New York invented pizza? Yeah. Pizza's not <laughs> Italian. Pizza's American. Yeah, that's what I was saying. There, it, it doesn't exist in it wouldn't exist in the South. That's not a Southern thing. Like Southern could yeah, exactly. that. I guess you ever had, did, so you don't we, it's so maybe, we, maybe us it's in, more us right. in Chicago don't us in Chicago don't get to have barbecue. All right. Maybe it's more maybe it's more of a specific this wasn't maybe the most well thought. It was just an idea. Uh <laughs> I, I have a thought on this though. Um I see your point because you're talking about places like Portillo's, but if you really know a region like Chicago or like for me, like my family's from, uh, my dad's from Pittsburgh. So we grew up going there a lot. You can get a Permani style sandwich elsewhere, but it's not going to be the same as going to a greasy hoagie joint in Southside Pittsburgh. Like the real places you can't really translate them. Yeah. I could see if you're talking about like very well-known specific restaurants. Yeah. Maybe that's, what, maybe spread. that's fine. But like stylistically, I think it's okay for people to okay. maybe move maybe around. that should may, that that'd be a more uh, coherent version of this take is that like just the the the, the chainage of restaurants I guess is is the part that bothers me. 
I mean, like like national chains, like like McDonald's, Burger King, whatever. You know, they have those overseas. That's fine. I I don't care about that. But just like regional chains, I feel like maybe that's what it's. Regional chains need to pick their region and stay inside of those regions and not branch out of them. There are Midwestern ones. There are Southern ones. There are New England ones. There are West Coast ones. There are mountain ones. I think from a business standpoint, though, like it makes sense for there to be a Portillo's in Arizona because there's so many Chicago transplants out there. Well, no, yeah, that's the whole reason it's there. So just I'm sure, I'm sure it's a, a snowbird from this area who opened that one. Like you're more likely I've been to there's been times where I've been in Arizona and I've, I've tried to find coyote stuff to take home and I would see Chicago teams before I'd see the coyote stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's I mean, I I had friends that moved to Arizona and I think it was like in their subdivision, there was another family that was from the same town as one of the as the wife of that couple. And like they moved halfway across the country and found someone who grew up in the same town. I went to a Hawks game in Arizona and was next to a guy from St. John, which is another suburb. (laughs) So what are the odds? That's that's yeah. The like a lot of, I I think don't quote me on this indirectly, but I think a lot of the towns in like Arizona's population growth recently is like entirely snowbirds. Like there's not a lot they're happening now, but in like the last, there weren't a ton of people that grew up in Arizona. It's people that moved there, but now they're having kids and those kids are growing up in Arizona. It's a good place to go play golf in the, sun, in the winter. It's a, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's, we'll amend the take to regional restaurants need to stay in their regions. That's the idea. I can is that, is that, that better? I yeah, because that would, that would be the opposite of my take last year, which was everybody eat grits everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so Dave, we're gonna you're gonna show up at the United Center next year and see the, them serving grits at one of the stands. Like, what the hell? <laughs> In Nashville, they have a really good Japanese place on the 200 level, and ever since I found it, I'm like, cool. I'm just gonna be eating noodles out of a box sitting in the stand. Such a weird thing to eat at a hockey game or any sports arena and i'm like whatever give me some chopsticks and let's go i'm about to say like like there there's an element of like portability with food at professional sporting events because you have to eat it on your lap and noodles don't sound like very portable for that it doesn't matter i don't know i've I've gotten them like a few times i think it's japanese um whatever i go up to the stand and i go please give me the number two because it's delicious Okay. For what I, think it's worth do, I think you could do noodles. If, if, if they're like in a portable, if they're on a portable like bowl, you're in a little like, box. Like mac, yeah, like macaroni and cheese. That you, you could do that in the stadium. Okay. For what it's worth, the Hawks, before they switched to all the corporate sponsorship, they had some pretty interesting, uh, Hawks and Bulls, I should say, had some pretty interesting restaurants in the UC. But now it's like they don't even have real Chicago pizza. They have DiGiorno's in every stand. It's not, con- it used to be Connie's forever. And like, I yeah, look at beanies maybe for a little bit. Well, they had like one place that was like a, a one off, I think, because the, the, the 300 level was where all the food always was. So I would go to a place called Mexican Fiesta before taking my seat and they had like nacho like things and whatever. Now yeah. it's all corporate. Yeah, weird. no, yeah. Like the 100 level is all like the like chain restaurants have all moved in to the United Center now. Like I, I can't yeah, well, well, I haven't been you gotta go down there and get ice cream. Do they still have the ice cream of the future for the last 30 years? Some dipping Dots? Uh, I don't know. I get the uh, waffle cone and they have like hand scooped ice cream outside like 113 or something. And it's uh, either strawberry or cookies or cream. It's very good. That sounds, that sounds delicious. I tell you, man, I, I, all I want, 308 Ironworks classic steak sandwich. That's all I want uh, right now. And kettle chips. And kettle uh, chips. You guys will laugh at this. The first period heat chart, like where the heat charts were in relation to the Hawks logo. I have a jersey that looks like that from spilling nacho cheese on it. <laughs> uh, I've uh, made that exact same mistake with uh, mustard on hot dogs at baseball games. Wearing a white, wearing a white Sox jersey. I don't eat anything that I feel like I'm going to spill on myself um, at games. Think- well, to, I don't want cheese anywhere near me. Yeah, no, yeah. Cheese yeah. is a bad choice at sporting events. The UC is so crammed now that, like, if you bump into somebody the wrong way, you're screwed with your whatever you're eating. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've uh, we yeah. covered a lot of ground with the food take. So, um, yeah, I think I'll do it for this episode. Any other final thoughts before I uh, put a bow on all of this? 
Uh, let's go find Grits, Dave, in Chicago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I need a report. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the place. So uh, I'm going to order them and make them at home. I, I guess I, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'll go to the grocery store see if there's a Grits kit for me. Um, but yeah. Great well, that'll kid. do it. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Musings on Madison. Shepard is at Shepard Price. Mill is at Mill182. I'm at underscore Dave Melton. All of those are on Twitter. Betsy's not on Twitter, but she is at Second City Hockey under the moniker LBR, where you can find all of her articles and the rest of ours at secondcityhockey.com. Spell it all out. Uh, the main Twitter account is at 2ND City Hockey, where me or Mill or maybe even Shepard or Betsy later in the season were usually tweeting a bunch of nonsense and probably gifts throughout the course of the game. Um, follow, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you want to leave us a five-star review, we'd much appreciate it. Um, but I think that's going to do it for the show. Thank you to the three of you for coming to hang out for us this evening. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, I am Dave for Mill, for Betsy, for Shepard. Uh, thanks again. And as always, go Hawks. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, oh. sorry, that's my ringtone. <laughs> Definitely not editing that out. <laughs> Anyone good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, pick it up next time. We'll just have the whole conversation on. <laughs>